Well, good morning. There is a world of difference between being a spectator, sitting in a stadium or somewhere in your living room perhaps, and somebody who's actually on the field, the athlete. Oftentimes though, I, I think we're not aware of that difference, or at least we act like we don't realize that there's a difference between being the spectator and being the person who's actually the athlete on the field. I say that because of the comments we make all the time about the decisions that are made or how a particular play is executed. Uh, I've been guilty of that. I've had strong opinions about the call that was made. It's like, why did the coach make that call or about the, the players and why couldn't they execute that? It, I don't stop to think in terms of, I, don't, I, can't, I couldn't do it myself. Now, I'm not as bad as some. I've been to enough sporting events and um, almost always there's at least one obnoxious, loud person nearby. And I remember a, a game uh, about a year ago, a little bit more than that in the fall, the year before, and there was a, a fan behind me and the, the game wasn't going particularly well and this guy was yelling the whole time how bad the coaches were, how bad the players were, and the thought popped into my mind as it does every time when I see something like this. I wish I could see him on the field just for five minutes. Love to see um, if he could um, last for five minutes before falling down in, in exhaustion. But that didn't keep him from having strong opinions. But there's a, a world of difference. If you've, if you've played collegiate sports or even professionally, uh, you know that being the athlete in the midst of it is not the same thing as watching it from the stands or watching it from your living room while you're eating your chips and salsa. There's just a world of difference. Now, we're today wrapping up a series called Engage, and the idea of this series is to get us to move from being spectators to becoming ones who are partners with us. We're asking you to consider engaging with us because we feel this could make a difference in your own lives as well as the church. It makes all the difference our mindset about it. Whether or not we're ones who see ourselves merely as just spectators or even just consumers, versus ones who are part of the work that God is trying to accomplish in our day and age. I remember the first time that I saw a difference between getting actively involved in the church versus just being on the sidelines through some unusual circumstances. Over the course of about a month, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with about a dozen of the friends who lived in my neighborhood, and one by one, they put their faith in Christ. Well, five of them came to a service and put their faith in Christ. And, and suddenly, almost all the kids that lived in my neighborhood were now Christians. They began attending our church youth group. And they began inviting their friends to come. And so this youth group, which is kind of small, started to grow bigger and bigger. But then an interesting thing happened. The kids who had been attending before, the ones who had been in church most of their lives, did not like it. And so one or two of them approached me on the side and they said, we've been talking and, and we're not going to keep coming to this youth group if your neighborhood friends come. Because this is our group. We were here first. And that was the perspective they had. Now, in some ways, I understand that perspective. In another sense, I, I just can't believe it. 
Instead, they should have had the perspective to say, boy, we got all these young Christians here. Maybe I could be part of the answer. Maybe I could help. Maybe I could be part of the solution in terms of discipling them or whatever, and they could become part of the mission. But instead, they viewed themselves as being inconvenienced as just spectators. We're hoping that people think more in terms of engaging with us, getting in the game, And as we'll see in a minute, I think this is what we're called to do in our day and age. All of you were born during this time period and all of you live in this place. I don't mean Morgantown, but in this area, this region, all of us are. And I believe that God wants us to carry on the work that he's been doing for centuries. He wants to do it through us. Even as he used people in the past, he wants to begin working through us. Now, we're going to wrap up this series today. I'm going to give you a challenge, but before I do, I want to give a little bit of a summary of where we've been so far with this series, partly because many of you have missed because of snow, and partly because I just think we need to reinforce these things. The first week of the series, I talked about what our vision is. Our vision is to be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and other people. That first week of the series, I talked about how inviting is both a verb and an adjective. We want you to be inviting in the sense of, please invite people to come. And please invite people to Christ, to meet Christ. But also, it's an adjective. We want to be the kind of church that's inviting, welcoming, regardless of where you are spiritually, that you would feel at home here. We want to be an inviting church, but then a church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and others, and we believe it's about relationships. All churches have their emphasis. For some, it's, it's just doctrine. For some, it's rules. For some, it's how you appear. We think love is the most important thing. Of course, Paul said that as well, but Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest command? He said, love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commands that matter because all the other commands found in the Bible fit into one of those two. If you do those two, you'll be doing everything that God wants you to do and you'll be doing things right by other people. So we think that should be our focus. We believe that if we can get you to love God more and more and if you could love other people more and more, we'll be achieving our goal as a church. The second week of the series, we talked about how people grow spiritually around here. We looked at five catalysts for growth, and we got these terms from Andy Stanley, although these are things we've practiced for years, or at least understood for years. First one is practical teaching. By that, we mean applying the Bible to your life is key. It's not just about knowing the Bible, it's applying it to your life, where it becomes practical in your own life. Private disciplines, this is what you and God do, alone. One of the most significant private disciplines is to read your Bible and pray regularly, if not daily. Third is personal ministry. We believe that you grow when you serve, when God uses you. For example, if you choose to serve in one of our children's areas as a teacher, you're going to have to study the material, and in the process, you're going to grow also in your understanding and grow in maturity. They're going to ask you questions. You won't know the answers. You're going to be pressed to grow. But we think also as as you serve God, he does something in our lives. He causes us to mature through ministry. Fourth is providential relationships. All of us can perhaps identify people in our lives that have helped us in our spiritual journey. We need other people. This isn't intended to be alone. 
in the spiritual journey. We need others along the way. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, don't, don't forsake assembling together, as some do, but we have to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day coming near where Christ is gonna return. And then finally, it's pivotal circumstances where God uses things that happen in our lives. If you were here last week for the baptismal service, you heard some pivotal circumstances. Some people shared some amazing stories of something that happened in their life that turned the direction of their life and they began to see God in a whole new way. Our responsibility is when we face various pivotal circumstances to use those or allow God to use those to change our lives. The third week of the series, we talked about what we believe. This church is unique in that we have people from so many different backgrounds. And we believe in some ways different things, and we do church differently. I'm curious how many of you would say that before you came to this church, you'd never been at a church like this one? How many of you? Is that the case? Like, this is really different than what I was raised. It is very different, and, and it raises the question, how do you have unity when you have so many different backgrounds and so many different ways of doing it? And one way to do that around here is to major on the majors, minor on the minors, especially when it comes to doctrinal areas or things that we believe. And so we quoted from St. Augustine who said, in essentials, we need to have unity there's certain things we just all need to believe. You know, the Bible's the word of God and you get right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, things like that. Essentials, we have unity. Non-essentials, liberty or freedom to believe differently, which is hard for some of us to do, to sit across from somebody who, who believes differently and love them and, and recognize they have a right to believe differently about this thing. But if it's not an essential, they have freedom and then in all things to have love. The next week of the series, Buck talked about what it means to be all in around here, to be a partner. We're hoping that you can get involved with these four things, connecting, serving, giving, and inviting. Connecting, especially in a smaller group. It's hard to connect in such a large environment. Serving, using the gifts and abilities, talents that you have to serve. Giving, supporting the ministry of the work here at the church financially, and then inviting inviting other people to come, and again, inviting people to faith in Jesus Christ. We think if you're doing those four things, you're really partnering with us, or if you're growing in those four areas or moving in that direction, we want you to be partnering with us. Then last week, we talked about baptism. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we had 17 people last week that went public with their faith through baptism. We do not believe that baptism is essential to go to heaven. I know some of you are raised with that belief. We do not believe that. In the Bible, there are, I understand, about 120 references that explain how a person gets right with God, and about 117 or so of those, the only requirement is faith, belief. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. That's it. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We think it's faith. There are a handful of others that seem to suggest something else. We think those are being misunderstood. Otherwise, it's been left out about 117 times, or whatever the number is. So why do we do it? Well, Jesus asked us to do it. 
but also it's a picture. We do a baptism by immersion, and so it pictures four, five things here. It's a picture of a death and resurrection. You get right with God when you put your trust in Jesus who died and was buried and raised again. That's what you're illustrating. I put my faith in Jesus who died and was buried. You go under the water, and then usually we lift you back up because Jesus rose again from the dead, usually. Two, it's a picture of a cleansing we experience through Christ. A washing, water's always been a picture of washing. You're being completely cleansed. It's a picture of your cleansing through Christ. Third, picture of the new life you have in Christ. Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You go under the water, you say, I'm dead to what I was. You come out of the water, I'm a Christian. That's my identity now, Christ. Fourth, it's a picture of being all in for Christ. It's a full immersion. I'm completely in sold out into Jesus. And finally, a picture being placed into the body of Christ. In the book of Acts, it seems like if you had a membership application, this was it, baptism. You believe, there's the water, and then it says they were added. They were baptized, and then it says they were added. Of course, we call it believer's baptism. There are different kinds of baptism. There's infant baptism and other kinds. But believer's baptism is a baptism you participate in after you've believed that illustrates these things. But today, um, we're gonna to talk about partnership, and we realize some of you won't be ready to do this, and that's fine. Uh, we don't wanna push people to do it at the same time we wanna put out a call to do it. And I wanna spend just a few minutes on Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. So we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning. Hebrews 12, one through three. Throughout the pages of the Bible, we have stories and examples of people who were God's people for the day and age in which they lived in the place where God had them. All along the way, we have these stories of people that were God's people, and their stories are recorded in the pages of the Bible. And again, they were in different places. You've got people like King David, who was in Jerusalem. You've, you've got Noah, wherever he was. Joseph, the story of Joseph. You've got the story of Rahab. You have Esther, she was in Babylon at the time, or Persia. Different ones at different times, and, and they, they're ones that we consider to be heroes of the faith. What I want us to understand here today is that the story is still going on today, and I think God's looking for heroes of the faith. And if we were continuing to write the Bible, which I think it was closed after the apostles died, but if we continued to write the pages of the Bible, some of our stories should be included in that because we are the ones now who are living in this day and age, and we're the ones living in this pay, uh, place. And I think God is calling us to engage in similar ways. The stories that we read about in the Old Testament are not just supposed to be stories that encourage us I think they're stories that should, should motivate us to, to follow their example, to continue on the legacy that they left behind, the heritage to become the people of faith in the day in which we're living. And this is exactly what I think the author of Hebrews, who I think was Barnabas, but the author of, of the book of Hebrews wanted his listeners to understand. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. And it lists a bunch of people who put their faith in God and lived out their faith in their day and age. And then when you get to chapter 12, where we are today, I believe that the author is basically saying, now it is your turn. With that in mind, let's read verse one in Hebrews 12. 
Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with the endurance, the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who has endured such hostility from sinners against himself so you won't grow weary or lose heart. Now in these verses, the author is describing a scene. It seems to be like a stadium. I envision kind of a round stadium. And there's a race going on down below. And they're, by, they're being pictured as kind of spectators watching this race. And the people that are running the race now, it's not them, it's, it's the people to whom he's writing, and I would suggest it's us. We are the ones. We are the ones running the race right now. Dr. Warren Wearsby puts it this way, the picture here is of an arena. The spectators are the heroes of the faith listed in the previous chapter. The runners are the believers, and in this case, they're going through various trials. He's encouraging them to persevere. You just keep on running. Now, I need to mention that I don't believe that the author of Hebrews is describing a literal scene where these people of faith that we read about in the Bible are now seated in some stadium someplace, and they're watching what goes on down here. Uh, the reason I say that I don't believe that's the case besides the fact that most scholars would be in agreement with that is that they're not omnipresent. In other words, if they were watching me, they couldn't be watching you. I don't think it's a real scene, but he's painting a picture to illustrate something. And what he's illustrating is that there are the host of people who have, in their day, trusted God and accomplished by faith, amazing things. And now it's their time to sit down and rest. It's now our time to run the race. And so get going. And don't let things trip you up. Don't let things slow you down. And be about this race of faith. Now in Hebrews 11, a lot of people are mentioned by name. But then he summarizes what he's saying in the whole chapter toward the end, and he lists a few more names beginning in verse 32. I want you to note that these are people who were people of faith, but their accomplishments are listed, the things they did based on the faith they had. Because this is what we're talking about, our flesh, or our faith, I'm sorry, being fleshed out in action. In verse 32, the author writes, what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better re resurrection. Why? Because they were trusting God. They say it's worth it. Now, we're called to join this group. It's now our turn to accomplish great things. Now, I think that we tend to read the stories of the Bible, and we think those were Bible people. Read the story of David killing Goliath, and you say, well, David could do that because he was David. We look at what Paul did, and we say, well, Paul could do that because he was Paul, you know? 
Esther could muster the courage to do what she did because, well, that was Esther. I'm not Esther. I'm not Moses. I'm not these people. I think that God wants us to begin thinking, yes, we are. We are those people. So when you read about David, your prayer becomes God. You are, you are the God of David, but you're my God. You know, you are, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you're not just their God, you're my God as well. You're the God of Joseph, and you gave him the strength he needed to persevere in trials. You are my God, and I'm going to do the same thing today. And the story continues to be written. We're the ones who are now running this race. With that in mind, again, reading verse 1, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let's run with endurance the race that lies before us. The others have gone before us, people of faith. It is now our turn. But then the writer of Hebrews introduces the greatest hero of all, Jesus. All those other people in Hebrews 11 were wonderful people, but they're, they're nothing compared to, to our Savior, Jesus, and what he endured, and how he persevered and always walked in faith, always did the right thing, suffered greatly for what he believed, and yet came out the other end glorified, seated next to God the Father. Looking at verse 2 again, we should keep our eyes on Jesus as we're running, as though he were the end goal. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down. He's now sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so you won't grow weary and lose heart. He does make the point, of course, it's going to be hard sometimes. And you're going to want to grow weary, and you're going to want to give up the, the fight. But you remember, of course, the example of Jesus. He persevered to the end. Anyone that's in the arena, anyone that's running the race, anyone who's competing in the sport, they're the ones, it's, it's not easy. The only sport I participated in at the collegiate level was wrestling. I was horrible at it. It was not easy. Sometimes you watch some wrestlers there and they look like they're just standing there like doing nothing. They're both like, you know, locked in some way. You say, they're not doing anything. Oh, if you have not been in there. It's, it's all you've got against what all the other person has. You are in the ring. It's not always going to be easy. And someone who's just a spectator who's never done it has no clue. They just don't understand. God wants us to understand. He wants us to be running our own race and, and accomplishing amazing things through the faith that we have in our God and facing things head on. Now, in focusing our eyes on Jesus, two things happen. Number one is that he is our example, and so that does encourage us. Dr. Vincent put it this way, Christ is the leader or captain of faith in that he's the perfecter of faith. In himself, he furnished the perfect development, the supreme example of faith. And in virtue of this, he's the leader of the whole believing host in all time. No one was like him who persevered in faith completely all the time to the very end. He is our example. And you should look at the example and realize where he ended up. He ended up right next to the Heavenly Father. And we're told to see the same thing, to realize it's worth it. You persevere, you're going to end up in the right place, glorified. But the other thing about fixing our eyes on Jesus is that he wants to empower us. 
Next week, Lord willing, I want to begin a series in the book of Colossians. It's about how Jesus is it. If you got Jesus, you got what you need. In so many different ways, we have what we need. Now, what am I asking us to do? Well, I'm asking us to join together and be part of what God's doing, to recognize in our day and age, by the way, that God doesn't want us to be running this race alone. We are the body of Christ. Paul put it that way. He said, don't you know you're the temple of God, the body of Christ? Uh, Jesus, it's like Jesus is here when his people are here. He's the head, we're the body, we're it. I think most of what God's doing in this world is through his people. That's what he wants to do. We're just asking you to, if you're on the sidelines, don't be on the sidelines. Don't view yourself as a spectator. We're asking for you to partner with us specifically because night is coming when we can't work any longer. Now here's where we get to the practical thing. We're asking you to physically partner with us. Even if you were a member before, all of us were asking to partner with us again. Now in the past, we did membership at Chestnut Ridge Church. Membership is gone. One of the misunderstandings people have is they think there are two kinds of membership. There's the members and then the partners. No, that's the same thing. We've changed the terminology mostly. You say, why did you do that? Well, because we want people to think about it differently. As I've mentioned two of the weeks, when I think of membership, I think of a name on a roster somewhere. The example I've given is a gym membership. I won't ask how many of you have a gym membership, but if I said, how many of you have a gym membership and all these hands would go up, then I'd ask the second question, how many of you were at the gym last week? I suspect that we'd find that you were a member but not as engaged as you could have been. We're just asking people to partner with us. And every year we want to ask people to sign this partnership. What's involved with this? How does someone become a partner? Four things. One is becoming a Christian by putting your trust in Christ. We just want to know that you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. The true church, Christians, are ones who know Jesus Christ personally. Second, we're going to ask you to complete the partnership covenant form, which is in your program, which I'm going to read over that very quickly in just a second. Uh, third, uh, complete the getting to know you form. What's going to happen is when you fill out this partnership covenant form, you'll get a link to the getting to know you form. Now, if you were a member before, we probably have your physical copy of this, but we're going to ask you to fill that out again. And then in future years, you won't have to complete that one. But just to get to know you just a little bit. And we want to do that because when it comes to partnership, part of what this is about is there's some areas where you can't serve if you're not a partner. We want to know you have a relationship with God and we want to know a little bit about your story. So you complete the partnership form and then you complete that and that's really it. Somebody then will contact you in some way to let you know whether it's a letter or whatever will let you know everything's fine or if you have questions you can ask. Now, what is it that you're agreeing to as a partner? Well, by God's grace, and this is on the partnership form, I affirm the church's statement of faith. I support the vision of the church. I'm committed to partnering with the church and growing in these four areas. I want to grow or partner. I agree with these things, connecting, serving, giving, inviting. I'll take primary responsibility for my spiritual growth by developing private disciplines. I will love, or pursue love and unity with other members in the church and in the larger community, as well as maintain a good name or a good reputation with people outside the church. 
And then finally, I'll place myself voluntarily under the authority of Jesus Christ as well as those who govern the church. Now, this last one is just acknowledging that God raises up leaders and all it is is an encouragement to be united, not, not disunited in terms of your association with us. We would encourage you to consider filling this out online. That would help out a lot at chestnutridgechurch.com slash partnership or go to our website and find the, the word partner. And then you'll come to the partnership manual and the form itself. We would encourage you to do that online because I think it would help out a lot. So this might, there might be more questions that you have about this. If you say, I'm not ready to partner, that's perfectly fine. You're certainly welcome here. It's just a way of identifying those that can really serve in various ways and ones that we know are actually with us. At this time, we're going to sing a song for you. It's a song about the future. It's a song called More to Come. And this is our, our vision for the future and a song we want to introduce today. And then I'll just wrap it up with a couple sentences and a prayer in a moment. sing together, church. You're the God who makes the giants fall. You bring down the walls of Jericho. You're the God who gives the miracle. We believe. Hey! 
you to partner with us. There is a place, by the way, on the form that if you say, I don't want to commit before I get an answer to this question or whatever, you can check that and, and then we'll talk to you first before you commit so it's not making a commitment. And then I also want to mention again the serve board that's out there. We really would encourage you to take a step there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the examples of people we have throughout the pages of the Bible ones who inspire us and encourage us and demonstrate what faith looks like through so many different contexts. But Lord, we are now your people and carrying out your will. and We are your body, the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, you work through us in greater and greater ways in the days ahead, that there would be indeed more to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>